This piece is called Brave and Sad, Growing a Family Through Foster Care by Jenny Reitz. Last week, I took my preschooler to the clinic for a flu shot. I promised him we'd get yellow popsicles from the store after it was all over. In the exam room, I held him on my lap as the nurse swabbed his thigh with alcohol and then reached for the syringe. I held his arm tight, and in a moment, it was over, and he buried his face in my chest. I rubbed his back. All done, buddy. Time for a sticker. In the car, I buckle his seat as he processes the experience. When the nurse poked my leg, I cried, he tells me. Yes, you did, and you were very brave. I pat his clipped chest buckle. He frowns. No, Mom. I wasn't brave. I was sad. I pause. You can be both brave and sad at the same time, little buddy. He looks out the window, thinking it over. Or maybe thinking about popsicles. Last week, I watched my friend's two sons, ages three and four, overnight while she was out of town for a doctor's appointment. I thought, no problem. It'll just be a little more madness than the usual madness, which already borders on maximum madness, so how much worse can it be? The boys raced around the house like a three-toddler tornado, dunking basketballs into our plastic basketball hoop and pulling cushions off the couch. My one-year-old daughter chased them laughing. During nap time, while they were supposed to be resting, I overheard giggles from my son's room and someone shrieking, Good night, poop! At bedtime, the boys asked when their mom was coming home. I said hopefully tomorrow, but I couldn't promise anything because the weather was bad and the planes might not fly. Never make a weather-dependent promise to a toddler, especially in rural Alaska when everything is dependent on the sky or water. The oldest boy looked out the window at the black night sky and his stoic silence filled the room more than the rowdiness of the afternoon. I couldn't make our bedtime routine fun for him because I didn't know what was his normal. I'd never been his mom and no amount of cartoons or chicken nuggets could make me feel like home. I did my best to prepare the kids for bed with baths and PJs and stories while my husband, my partner in life, glanced up from the TV long enough to say, you're doing a great job, baby. He'd been gone all day at work, staying later than he needed to, telling me he didn't want to be around all the madness, the madness that was our family. I stared at his back, his eyes on the screen. My silence lingered like a fog as I moved to our bedroom to fold laundry in our room. I carried towels and flannel napkins to the kitchen drawers, ducked into the kids' room once more to comfort and hug and went to our bedroom alone. In my journal, I wrote one short line. I can't do this alone. The next day, I dropped my friend's boys off at their house just as her truck pulled in from the airport. I helped her unload a bag and hopped back in my car, feeling like I should have helped more. I should have stayed long enough to ask how her doctor's appointment went or offered to keep the kids a little longer so she could settle in. I had nothing left to give. When I floundered caring for two kids for only one night, our foster care application moved closer to completion in the regional child services office. I'd mailed our thick application in an envelope covered in stickers and optimism back in the spring, taken online classes in the summer, and marked our home study on the calendar. Foster care and adoption have been my lifelong dream, but after my weekend babysitting, I wondered, should it be this hard? When my husband and I were first dating eight years ago, I shared with him my wish to adopt. He said he was open to it. I thought this was all I needed. His heart wasn't locked, so surely it was open. We'd do it together. In the living room, after I dropped my friend's kids off, I confronted my husband about the night before. You didn't help me with the kids at all yesterday. You weren't even home. How can we be a foster family if you don't want to be here with me? Unspoken, I felt the words from my journal. I can't do it alone. He moved his eyes from the game on TV to me and sighed. Baby, I just don't like little kids. I opened my eyes wide, but try not to make my face do anything else to hold the space for him. Tears fell anyway and my breath caught. What does that mean, babe? Do we never get to foster? Do you even like our kids? Of course, I love our kids. I just can't add anything extra right now. I'm tired. I know what it means to be tired. I was tired after just one day with four kids under five. He's been putting in 14-hour days at work, building the business we bought together. 
were on year three of a five-year plan we made together that involved him working a lot to pay off our debt. We chose our life, but I'm impatient. I want a big family and I want it now. I tell him, I understand saying not right now to foster care doesn't have to mean never, but still I'm sad. What if not right now becomes forever? He can't answer this. I wonder if I should call our licensing social worker and tell her not to bother taking the plane trip to our small town for our home study. Will she read it on my face that I'm not capable? Will she be able to tell my husband isn't on board? What a fraud we make together. The words I told my son in the car after his flu shot come back to me. You can be both brave and sad. I feel deeply, irreversibly unprepared to be a foster parent. But God put this dream on my heart as firmly as he gave my heart to my husband. Why not a different dream or a different husband? I see pain in my husband's eyes as we talk. He wants to be part of my vision, but right now he can't go there with me. One of us is sad and one of us is brave. I'm worried I have to be the brave one. I wipe my eyes and reach for my husband's hand across the couch without saying anything. In the morning, I don't cancel our home study and he doesn't ask me to. Maybe that's as brave as we can be today. Jenny, thank you so much for sharing this piece with our community today. I am really glad to have your story and your voice uh, represented here on the Kinderbomb podcast. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and maybe what stage of motherhood that you're in. Thank you so much, Emily. It's a, it's an honor to be here. This is really exciting. Um, so I have two young kids right now, uh, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And right now we are certified foster parents, but we're still waiting for our first call. Okay, wonderful. Well, I've been asking uh, other moms who have been sharing their pieces during this Peaceful Home series, uh, what is one special, interesting, or quirky thing about your family? <laughs> the Let's see. I think the weirdest thing is that we own a salmon cannery in Alaska. and. Ah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of like a movie. I mean, it's just, as you would imagine, we're buried in snow right now. Um, it's like three feet outside and, um, it's very rural. Our our city only has 2000 people and everyone knows everyone. And it's like, everyone is your mom. And I grew up here and my husband grew up here. And so it's just a really unique way to raise a family, but I think it makes it really special too. Yeah, that's wonderful. I don't know anyone who has a salmon cannery in Alaska, <laughs> except <laughs> yes, for you now. Maybe the only one. It's kind of a so, dying industry. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, I would love for you to share what is one thing that you do or specifically don't do or a product that you use to make your life just a little bit easier as a mom? Mm, that's such a good question. And I really can't wait to hear everyone else's. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is I tell everyone we're a one activity family like one activity per day. And so Ah. if you have something you want to invite us to get it on the calendar early, because once that day has like a birthday party or, um, you know, a Christmas event or like, especially in this holiday, maybe I shouldn't say this because it's not, this isn't going to air during the holidays, but, um, anyway, like if someone wants to invite us to something, we will do it and we will go all in on that one thing, but that's it. And that has really, that white space in my life has made our family feel, um, a lot more, I don't know, relaxed and peaceful. Hmm, That's a really good tip. And I would say that for the most part, we probably do the same thing. I don't, we're not invited to a lot of things because I think people are overwhelmed by having nine people over whenever they invite us, but it's it's no problem. It's really just funny to me. Well, I'd love to ask you, uh, what is one topic that you could talk about forever? I feel like I could talk about relationships forever. Mm. Um, the dynamic in 
especially marriages and partnerships, Mm -hmm. really fascinates me. And it's partly because I think it's the most important relationship. And I think sometimes we get stuck in motherhood thinking that our kids are the most important thing. And they they are, like they're our hearts, but they won't succeed if we're not taking care of our marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself writing about it a lot and thinking about it a lot. And my marriage has had some ups and downs. I think some people have easy ones. I don't know. Maybe it seems like... Oh, sure. Hugh. Sorry. I'm hiding in the closet. <laughs> because I'm recording a podcast. Okay, here. Okay, give them to your sister and then shut the door. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Can I come back, Emily? Yeah, for sure. Here's sister. Okay, I'll be right back. I'm so sorry. No worries. I'm back. You're totally great. I thought I locked the door. <laughs> do you um, do you feel like that's enough, or do you want me to say just, more? Just say, uh, yeah, just that so that question. you can wrap up nicely. Just if you don't mind saying a couple more lines about why that's yeah. important to you. Um, I think I could even ask you. Yeah, I will. So yeah. um, again, <laughs> um, so I just feel like the marriage relationship is so important, and and when we have a healthy when we have a healthy yeah. marriage, then our kids are healthy. Like, I don't know. I just, I, re- I read this book called Eight Dates by John Gottman. And he talked about how um, you can, to find out the health of a marriage, you can ask the couple like a slew of questions, a long list of questions, or you can take a 24 hour urine sample from their kids to s- and, and measure cortisol levels, mm. like the stress hormone. And it like, it made me cry. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, like my kid's are soaking up my marriage in my, mm. like the good or the bad. And so mm. I just feel really like passionate about finding ways to make it work. And, you know, everyone knows it's hard in the motherhood season and the young kids see each other. Yeah. And we, we lose each other, I think. And we don't realize the effect that has on our families. So with that being something that you highly value, do you have any top priorities or top tips that you would offer moms who are kind of in that season of feeling buried, but want to have a solid relationship with their husband? Um, of course I'm still in it. And so I don't have the solution because I feel like I'm still searching for the solution, but I have found that when I put myself first, like when I put my mental health first, that, that is the foundation. And then I'm able to reach out to my husband Mm -hmm. and then putting him putting him first too, and, and making our relationship a priority. And that just trickles down to making our family really cohesive and, um, and function well. And so like for me, putting myself first means like getting up early and doing a workout and I'm not doing it to be skinny, you know, I'm doing it so that my mental health is in a good place and, you know, making time to write and just, and doing that and not feeling guilty. Like I will write instead of cleaning and, you know, you have to make (laughs) trade-offs like that. And I think it's important. And so, yeah, just rest and, that time for myself. And then I'm, we have not been good at this, but we need to get back in the date scene. Like, I don't know how to go on a date. I don't, it feels like so expensive and so much work, but I feel like in 2020, that's my goal is to put dates first or make them on our calendar weekly. For sure. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's what you would um, want to do, but the thing that has saved us through our 14 years of parenting so far is just doing date nights in, which are not fancy out on the town. We're all dressed to the nines, but it is kind of putting the kids to bed a little bit early. And we usually order in food, which I don't know if you have order in stuff where you live, but it's, um, 
it's nice it's nice to just know that this is time that's set aside for us to either have a conversation that's not interrupted or sometimes we do just watch a show or um you know it's it's not ever fancy but i feel like even that small amount of effort to have dedicated time for one another has been really beneficial for us. And so um, that's just one possible option. Mm, That's so good. And do you do it on the same day every week? No, I think it's kind of when uh, there are some times that we do it more often than others. Uh, Lately, it's just been really a busy time where he's done some travel and we've had some different upsets to our schedule. So it hasn't happened as often, but I feel like when we really just need a place to connect or a point of connection, I'll say, Hey, can we do date night tomorrow night? And you know, it's kind of more spontaneous. Um, so it's not every, every week necessarily, but there are times that we have two or three in one week (laughs) because we need it that bad. Um, and that's just, cause we'll just, I'll make make dinner for the kids at home and then we'll order in just for ourselves. So it's kind of (laughs) special. Yeah, and so the ordering in is like the de- de- like the definitive date it night sort of is. is that you're not cooking yeah. and the kids are in it bed sort of is, yeah. and you're eating together. Yeah, yeah. I think well, I think we hope. And then what you do after that is doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I mean it just kind of depends on how we're feeling. Um, but I think this year we bought some cooking yeah. classes to watch uh, for just some of the time that we have together. Okay. So I think some of our date nights in might be cooking some of those dishes that we learn how to cook <laughs> in real time, uh, just in our own home kitchen, because that's much nice. much more feasible than trying to get out somewhere and find care for our kids. Um, but yeah, it's just fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, it's real with seven oh, yes. kids. I yes. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'd like to ask you one more question as we wrap up. Um, and since we're in the middle of the peaceful home series, I'd love to know how you find or create peace in your own home. I'm, I feel like I'm always looking for peace and <laughs> I am not finding it. That's, <laughs> That's not the right answer. Um, I feel like, yeah, I feel like space is what I'm always looking for in my home in terms of our stuff. I'm always trying to declutter and be really mindful about the, the things that I'm bringing in, just even in terms of food and the clothes and yeah. toys and just like, I notice that I feel peaceful when there's just white space in my home. And it's the same with our schedule. When there's only one thing on the list that day, I feel peaceful. And it allows me, it allows things to pop up because things always pop up. And so, yeah, I think just creating space as best I can, even if it doesn't always feel possible. Yeah, no, that's really wise and such a great tip. Jenny, thank you so much for spending time with me today. This is amazing. Mm-hmm.